Hello, Adam Greenfield here, host of the Great Communicators podcast series. And what you're about to hear is the full, unedited interview with one of the guests we spoke with. If you haven't listened to the fully produced episode yet, I definitely encourage you to do so before listening to this one. They're shorter in length and much more refined. You can find them all at gradx.mit.edu forward slash podcasts. The idea behind these longer, unedited conversations is to give you an opportunity to hear the entire talk, orts and all. This is not only a fun way to hear the full flow of the conversation, but it also emphasizes the importance of the points made in the shorter, produced episodes, which, again, can be found at gradx.mit.edu forward slash podcasts. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the conversation. So can you state your name and tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So my name is Yang Shaohorn. I'm a, a WM CAC professor uh, of energy at MIT. I'm also a professor of material science engineering and a professor of mechanical engineering. And uh, my area of expertise is in developing energy storage technology. Wow. Cool. Um, so we're going to start with uh, a couple questions about audience. So our grad students are learning about how to connect to their audience for the first time. Um, so the, the first week's worth of content will be all about, like, how do you connect with an audience? So what the questions I'm going to be asking you have a little bit to do with, like, who your personal audience is for your work and how you've connected to them, if you have, or any stories like that. So um, I guess the first question is, who is the audience for your work? Right. I, I've, I, I guess we can edit this portion out, but uh, I find this question really can be discussed in several different contexts, right? So it uh, depends on what we actually are doing, right? So if we are talking about teaching, right? Mm-hmm. So our audience are really our students, right? I don't know whether that's your sort of the, the question is targeted towards. It can or be you... any of it, like it, it, any of your audience uh, that you feel would be worth mentioning. Like when you keep audience in mind during your work, who would those people be? Honestly, I don't have audience in mind when I do my work. Okay. So, but this is maybe just the differences in the lingo, right? So I think we have more of a sense of, for example, uh, let's say if take context of research, right? So, So research, essentially, we want to define what's our open problem, right? So what is the problem that we're addressing, right? And that's motivated by sort of certain challenges, uh, challenges in technology, right? It's a lack of a given technology for a certain need or uh, a sense of a lack of understanding in a fundamental problem, right? And then we develop essentially uh, our research activity targeting either developing the technology or, or discovery of fundamental concept, right? So mm. that's really what we do for research, right? So now if we want to give a talk, right? And we say, okay, what is our audience, right? So if we want to give a public speech, right? So then we want to tailor what we do and uh, so that we can um, communicate with the audience effectively and we'll tailor, for example, uh, what the materials we will present, right? Or if we talk about really our experts in our field, of course we will tailor 
uh, uh, the presentation to the audience that uh, we present or communicate with, right? So, uh, or if we're teaching, our audience are either undergraduate students or graduate students, we will essentially tailor our materials differently. Right. So you're saying there could be like a piece of research that's being presented completely different ways to the different kinds of audiences, right? right? right. Um, how, you know, how did you figure out how to change the material to present it to each one of those audiences? Like, like what are the questions that you kind of ask yourself or like, let's say you're teaching a concept versus presenting it at a, at a talk. Well, what is... How do you decide what not to say and what to say? Well, it, I think it's largely learning by mistakes. And uh, so it's through, uh, I think, uh, our experiences, right? So uh, typically, we, if we want to communicate effectively, we want people to be on board with uh, what we're actually discussing. And uh, very importantly, to relate our materials to something that people actually in the audience, they have some experience with, right? So there are certain points, right, people can connect and follow. Mm. And uh, I think also depends on whether you're talking about, for example, engineers or, or scientists. And there's also uh, different ways to tailor that, right, where scientists are very passionate about discovering of sort of unknown or discovering of some fundamental uh, processes that has not been discovered or, or uh, understood. Uh, by, by scientists or by humans. And where if you talk about engineers who are developing of technology practitioners, and they're more fascinated about solving a problem, changing the world, right? So I think it's very important that we connect with the passion of the audience, what they really they care about. And so that would be sort of first step, right? How do you motivate the work that make people really excited about hearing what you have to say, right? So this is the beginning piece, right? How do you have an opening that can motivate people and, uh, and people care, right? And the second is, uh, how do you tailor the materials, right? Are you talking with chemists or talking with physicists or mechanical engineers? Relate what we are uh, going to say to something that they're familiar with. And, uh, and that's something that, uh, uh, and I think most importantly, is tell a good story, right? Well, speaking of stories, was there any, was there ever a time, you mentioned mistakes, uh, and, and you kind of learned through making mistakes. Is there any, was there ever a time where, that you remember that you made a mistake that was really pivotal to you understanding how to do what you were trying to do better? Yeah, absolutely. So there's many examples I can give you. Uh, but uh, I think one that burned into my mind uh, very um, deeply is the one time um, I was invited by the um, APS, uh, American Physical Society. Uh, so for some of you know, the, the, the for, uh, American Physical Society meetings are one of these largest meetings, right? So typically the attendees are over 10,000. And so I was given a slot to talk about energy storage technologies. And that's a few years ago, really at the onset of sort of this energy and clean energy and storage has really become really part of how we think about sort of sustainable energy and environment, right? So there's a lot of interest, right? So I was um, invited uh, to give this very prestigious plenary lectures. So I walk into the lecture hall, there's probably 5,000 physicists there. And so, and I 
give a talk that's uh, focused on kinetics of reactions that's going to revolutionize how we store energy. And so there were quite a bit of chemistry involved. And uh, the national meeting for this American Physical Society, most of the physicists are care about space. They're discovering stars, and they find these sort of activities extremely fascinating. And they're not physicists that are in the sort of the solid-state physicists, the condensed matter physicists. So during my talk, which is one hour, and there's a massive exodus of physicists from this room, by the time I finish, maybe there's only 3,000 physicists left. So the 2,000s departed. And uh, to, to add to this embarrassment is that uh, I talked about only kinetics, right? Meaning is how fast a reaction occur. But physicists, I should have known better, care about more about thermodynamics. So it's really what, how much energy in principle we can actually hold and can develop, right? So it's really in principle how much is, can be stored, right? And all the questions all about thermodynamics had very little to do actually the actual talk. So, so that, that, that taught me that we really need to tailor the materials, you know, really with, you know, what I should have done is with the minimum chemistry, but looking at comparison of sort of very different storage uh, technologies and look at uh, uh, theoretical or thermodynamic uh, energy numbers for different technologies to push for the limit, you know, in principle, um, in theory, what is the maximum we can store and, uh, uh, and really discuss from that particular angle instead of talk about something that I'm really passionate about, right? So it, we need both, right? We need to connect to the audience, but also we have to be uh, intrinsically uh, very excited about that topic, right? So it's really a combination of knowing the audience and plus our, our own interests. If you were... Uh going like so that's an interesting story i mean i wonder if you were going back and you were going to tell yourself something before you started that that lecture that could have fixed it or if you could have done something an hour before that might have helped you understand that the audience was more interested in thermodynamics how would you have found that out like is there a way you could have known or how do you do it now how did you correct that in in the way that you do your presentations now well i have not been invited invited back ever <laughs> so that can fix some of the problems <laughs> all right well not that specific lecture but i mean you you very internalize this principle of needing to understand your audience before you start presenting to them right like or at least understand where your passion is at versus what they are interested in so I think this is something i'm learning and i see many of our colleagues are just so much better at it uh, than than I do, right? So I think is to think outside the box, right? So very often we develop our career and there's sort of expertise we develop and there's a peer group that we interact uh, with and that's where I think we get to the publishing piece, right? This is where really the majority of the, the sort of the audience we'll be communicating with. And we're so comfortable in that 
sort of sandbox, right? And how do we talk with people that are uh, working on uh, very different problems, right? And uh, I would say that, you know, preparation an hour before when I've really fixed the problem, but rather than um, talking with, uh, I would say, on a sort of um, daily basis, talk with people from uh, who practice very different type of science or engineering would be helpful, right? So this is where I think uh, participating in meetings across discipline that would be very useful. That's that's really cool. I yeah, I'm very new to all of this because my my expertise is in education. So I like I do a lot of communicating myself, but I'm more focused on delivering new pieces of knowledge to people. It's similar, right? But but I'm working. I've worked my classically with high school students and. Mm -hmm. uh, with teachers, uh, public school teachers, but still the principles there, like knowing them before I start talking about them. And I've never really thought about this idea of like forcing yourself to go into interdisciplinary conversations so that you can really understand. Right. So let's talk about, you know, let's say, you know, at MIT, we have these uh, sort of faculty dinners. And uh, so then if you have a conversation with uh, physicists or biologists or then you actually you find uh, in our own disciplinary we have a lot of technical terms right and if you reduce them let's say to 100 years ago uh, there will be actually very common sense uh, sets of dis disciplines or, or, or science actually people can communicate right so this is where I think extremely helpful to um, as we are in a more and more specialized society, right, where we're experts are more and more specialized, and how do we step back to be able to uh, to communicate with people uh, that, uh, let's say, uh, people from uh, high school or undergraduate uh, students can really appreciate and relate? Yeah, it's almost like you have to put yourself in that position of being an observer or a learner so that you can understand how your audience is going to feel, but also like learning it from a field, something you don't know. It's right. really important because then it helps you. Right. Um, and I think it's often it's really this, you, you work on very sort of uh, difficult problem and also very specialized Right? But how do we explain this difficult problem or difficult solution or, or this very challenging research in a very simple ways that uh, people can relate? Right? And then so, you know, you probably have heard of saying the more you understand a given problem, the easier you can explain it or the simpler you can explain it. Mm -hmm. right? And this is actually, I think, helpful to, to, to talk with audience, um, a general audience. Yeah, it reminds me, there's this book that uh, was just published by the co comic artists who do XKCD. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's a, it's a math comic. It's stick figures, and it's, it's really funny jokes about math problems. Um, but they just published a book called Thing Explainer, where they took like, like a, a nuclear missile, mm -hmm. but they only used the most 10,000 popular words in the English language, mm -hmm. and that was the only words they could use to like describe all the parts mm -hmm. that went into it. Okay. And they said it had to be simple enough that a third grade student could understand what was going on. Mm -hmm. It was really interesting. It's um, great. Uh, can you talk a little bit about publishing and how publishing has played a role in your career? 
Yeah, I think publishing is really great. <laughs> so I really enjoy publishing. And I think for, you know, number one reason is that uh, when we write things down, we can uh, think, at least for me, I can think more clearly and make arguments um, more rigorously uh, and, uh, and put the work much more in context. Right, so this is uh, essentially the dominant uh, mechanism that we communicate with other scholars. Right, so it's really uh, a way to shape our thinking and also shape uh, sort of the area and the progress we can actually push our science forward. Has um, I'm just reading over these questions again. Um, has has publishing changed? Over, like, have your thoughts on publishing changed over the course of your career? Um, I, I think over time uh, we become better writers and uh, we communicate better, right? And uh, so, the, essentially, I think uh, publishing to be able to have a um, uh, a simple story that you can tell. Um, yeah, I think it's a very effective way to communicate. Was there ever a time when, like, you published something and it changed your view on how that, how how you saw publishing, or 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 experience you had with publishing? Like, I, I'm almost thinking, like, I mean, I I just did research for my grad program, and I was I haven't published my research yet, but. Um, I was really excited to share that research, but I was really afraid to at the same time. And I'm, I guess I'm wondering from somebody who's done publishing more, like a lot more than I have, like, does that get easier? Like the fear of like what it is or like you might not be doing everything exactly perfectly. So... I don't consider publication uh, a perfect work, right? Um, I always consider publication is a thought based on limited data, and uh, it reveals through a window that we can create to see the natural world, right? So it's not a piece of work that's uh, um, with certainty or perfection, but rather than it is enhances our understanding of the natural or the physical world. And if we use rigorous method and uh, rational uh, deduction of the facts, and uh, that's how we think about this problem, that's how we communicate with uh, our peers. And I always find it really exciting to to then discuss with peers and because even for the same set of uh, uh, observations, people can have very different uh, interpretations because we interpret the observations based on different sets of assumptions. So then publication is a way to lay everything out very clearly. Did you learn that? Uh, was there a point? I mean, you work with grad students now who are, who are having to learn this, right? Like, mm -hmm. maybe they published something when they were undergrads, but probably not, right? Um, mm -hmm. But uh, was there a specific instance where that clicked for you? Because I really like that thought that you just had about um, that, it's a, that it's a thought. That you're publishing a thought based on a limited set of information, but you need to get that thought out there. Um, 
And I know as a grad student myself, I struggled with that. Like I struggled with it being a thought. I thought I had to present something that was really perfect. Um, so it made me kind of afraid to publish my findings um, because I was like, they're not perfect. Um, but did you go through that or did you always know that it was that idea of a thought? I'm such an imperfect person. So I think it's always uh, that for me from the very beginning. So I'm always very comfortable with publishing and uh, in fact it's quite exciting to, to share the thoughts, right? Because then you can actually can lay the assumptions out and you can actually uh, discuss with others. And uh, if you have something that's really incorrect and people can clearly um, point that out and that's how we make progress forward. Do you have any advice for grad students, like from your observations of where they're at in their, in how they're thinking about publishing or the way they're constructing their thinking around that, that you think would be important to share with them? Yeah, so this is something I work uh, extensively with my students. And I find uh, most of them actually, uh, you know, very hard workers and they are also very good writers. And uh, I think maybe what I find challenging for graduate students is that how to put the different pieces together so that you can tell uh, a very sort of systematic and rational um, way of interpreting the observations and how to prioritize uh, some of the key observations and some are maybe secondary observations and maybe some are key conclusions. This is with more of the certainty and some of the secondary conclusions um, that uh, how to uh, present the results and the thought in a systematic way so that the key points, the most important main points will come through uh, where uh, in addition to other maybe secondary um, in, in, sense, in some essence uh, that are less important uh, points. Right? So how to make that very clearly and how to make the assumptions in support that thought are very clearly as well. Do you have a way of fig I mean, is there a reason why they're not it? I'm trying to rephrase the question. But like no, it's interesting because what you're saying is there's 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 pieces of information. I tell this it's a similar concept I tell the teachers. I'm like you want to teach them the entire Civil War, but you have a kid that can only pay attention for five minutes. Like, what is the most important thing that they should know about the Civil War? Come through, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm always talking about, like, you can't give them everything. You can only give them some, and some people who are really interested might be interested in everything. Mm -hmm. um, what is the block there, do you think? For, for grads, when you've worked with grad students, you're saying that they, they have a hard time prioritizing that information. Is there like a reason or a commonality or a common reason why they don't want to delineate importance to one piece of information versus the other? I don't know why. Right? I don't know the root cause, but I know some of the solutions uh, over years because some of the students uh, that um, they become brilliant writers uh, and what can help is uh, to talk about these facts through with the students and really loudly to, to say, okay, is this really significant? Or uh, how significant is this relative to the other one? And how certain you are about this assumption or this thought? And how would we organize it? 
And then after, I would say, some of these, cal cal uh, these conversations uh, that, that can be potentially supported by further experiments or computation, calculations, and then we will generally will come to a consensus. This is how we would present the flow of, um, of information or ideas. Right? And, but I don't know the root cause. The root cause. Maybe it's just perspective. Maybe it's just not... I mean, what you're saying is when you say it out loud, they, it kind of clicks. And maybe it's just like when, when... I know when I've written scripts that I've had to perform for videos... I'll write it the way I write. And then when I say it out loud, I'm like, I would never say this out loud. Like, I would never speak this way. So I have to, like, go back and edit it after I say it out loud. So, you know, a practical step of, like, say it out loud, mm -hmm. you know, in front of people even, like, to see if it resonates, you know. Mm -hmm. um, that's a good piece of advice because maybe it's just that perspective. Yeah, I think it's experience, right? So that because when we write, not only we have the information, we also have physical intuition, Right, so it's how to put the pieces together, and I think the more we do it, the easier because we have uh, maybe better toned uh, physical intuition. I think we're are we done? Three fifty nine, perfect timing. Yeah. So do we, we? We I think it's my group. We could still have a couple minutes if you like. Uh, no, no. I think I think, I think we're good. Uh, I think and thank you for being the first one. Oh, I'm the first one. Like I'm the guinea pig. No, but it's good. Like that was a great interview. So thank no, you. No, no, I, I didn't know. I thought I missed it up. But I'm like I don't know its audience, but maybe its audience is uh, like. No, your story was amazing. That's exactly what we're looking for. Stuff but I like think that. maybe you want to modify this audience when we speak, right? Because you know it's, you know, part of what we do is. Well, first, we have to yeah. discover knowledge, right? So that's what we do, define experiments. So our focus is impersonal, meaning is a scientific, is a technology sure. or is a knowledge. It's impersonal focus. Then we want to, once we have some discovery or technology development, we need to turn our personal, interpersonal skills to communicate with others, right? And this is where we say, okay, what are audience? How do we effectively communicate, right? If we want to do a startup, if we want to uh, give a scientific talk, and that's different audience, right? Then we need to communicate and engage sort of with people, right? But then as a scientist itself, we, our first engagement is with the physical world. So the audience could be physical world, but I don't know. <laughs> so well, maybe no. we can cut this part out. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> I, I think it's important because the thing that I'm thinking about, though, so I came at it from, I'm a gra my background's in graphic design and art okay. education. So, yeah, so then that's so audience is like... Audience is the first thing that you yeah. say. And I was like, what I was thinking about was, but there's got to be a level of thinking about audience in your work before you even start working on something because you're trying to solve a problem, right? Solve a problem. But, but, but it's a problem that somebody has. This podcast was written and produced by Adam Greenfield. The executive producer of this podcast is Patrick Urich. The Great Communicators Podcast. The Great Communicators Podcast, Brad Comics Live, Brad Comics The Game, and the Technically Speaking Comic Book Series are part of a professional development initiative called GradX. GradX is made possible by GradX is made possible by the Office of Graduate Education at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. To find out more about GradX as well as get access to other episodes of the Great Communicators podcast, yes. go to gradx.mit.edu. 
For more information and links on the music used in this episode, please see the show notes.